He says, this is what it's going to be like. It's, it's this closeness. It's this love. There's no line to how deep you can go in your relationship with God. We've talked about it many times, that there is no line when it comes to you knowing Jesus and knowing God. You can go as far and as deep as you want, and you will only get to the end of him when we get to glory. Like the pursuit of God throughout our life will only lead us to a deeper understanding, but yet we are only scratching the surface. The Bible says that's how marriage can be too. And that's how love should be. It should be something that is deep and that is lasting. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Let's get started. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Song of Solomon. It's in the Bible. Uh, it's right after the book of Ecclesiastes. Right after the book of Ecclesiastes, right before the book of Isaiah. We are starting a book of poetry tonight. Book of love poetry. Love poetry. So let us pray and then we'll uh, get into God's word. Lord, we, we come to you, God, and thank you so much that we can come into your presence and um, to spend time, Lord, hearing from you and being ministered to by you. And Lord, we want to minister to you as well. God, we want the posture of our heart and the, the meditation of our heart, Lord, to be upon you. And so God, we pray that you just clear our minds and begin to wash us with your word. Um, we pray that your transforming work would continue to take place in our hearts uh, tonight through this, through this book that you have placed in your word for our benefit and for our admonition. And so, Lord, we trust you. We love you. We ask God that you would speak to us now through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be uh, going through for the next few weeks through the book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And... Um, uh, the theme verse of Song of Solomon is, is found in chapter 8, and this is kind of where we're going to be launching out of every week, is Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7, and it says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for your love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. And if one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. As we start this book, um, my heart behind it is not to be edgy, is not to be cool. It's not like we're going to be the edgy group and we're going to talk about sex and nakedness for the next eight weeks. Nothing would, would bless me more than to do the book of James. Um, and my heart behind it is not to be edgy or cool. That's, that's not why we're doing this. Like, we are, like we're something because we're going through this forbidden book in the Bible. But my hope is that through this, we continue on the theme of this year, which is Psalm 24, verse 3 through 6. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has, a clean, who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So as we continue to keep Christ, not country or cause, at the center of who we are, my prayer is that we, through this study, through scripture, we will see the world through the lens of scripture and to build upon a biblical worldview, which is what we've sought to do these last 10 years. My hope is that this study will serve as a time of preparation for some of you and serve as a time for others as refreshment to your soul. And as you know, God's crowning achievement of creation were Adam and Eve. It was the one marriage that existed before the fall. No sin, no shame, purity, joy, blessing existed within that relationship. And we know that in Genesis 3, the fall of man took place. Something very bad happened. 
Sin entered the world and everything was shattered and broken. Suddenly there was once, where there was once no shame of nakedness, they sought to clothe themselves. Uh, there was innocence, no baggage, pure, uh, perfection, purity, joy, blessing. Sin broke that. Sin broke that. It's like a sailor who was shipwrecked and stranded on a deserted island with amnesia. And as the wreckage comes to shore, he begins to try to piece together and build something. And ultimately, we have lost the ideal of what human relationship and love is to look like. And a lot of times, we're just trying to piece together some of the wreckage that floats to shore. And God has put this book in his word for a reason. And honestly, I would love to just say this first off. I wish someone would have told me about this book when I was young. Like, I wish someone would have spent the time to really explain more of this as a kid, right? You kind of grow up, like we all grow up, where you're like, girls are icky. Um, and you're like, I don't want to, we're cool. But at some point, like, girls want to make their shoes talk to each other, like dolls, and boys just want to destroy things. Today, on my way home from swim lessons with my two children, uh, my youngest children, my daughter has sandals on her hands and she's using them to talk to each other and like playing this little game. My son's in the back because we're listening to Led Zeppelin and he's headbanging in the back, just, ah, ah, and he's like, yeah, I'm so proud of him. But anyway, suddenly there comes this reality in our life where we're like, yeah, I don't like them, but something changes, right? You're like, I don't know why, but I want to throw things at you. I want to pull your hair. I want to push you down. And, and this is how I'm expressing that I kind of like you, right? We all go through that change at some point. And I wish someone would have explained how God's way of sexuality exists within the Christian framework. Because it does. It does. It's very much something that that we as a church and we as Christians need to take back from the world. Like something that the world uses as, um, how do I say this properly? Something that the world has taken and has perverted in such a way that we are all so confused. We as the church, Christ redeems that all back to himself. So if this belongs to anyone, it belongs to us. And so we need to take back this idea of sexuality and to take it back under the lens of scripture and to say this belongs to us because Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And this can exist in a way that God designed it to exist. Jesus redeems it back to its original setting, right? This is how it's meant to be. And so God gives us the book of the Song of Solomon. And perhaps, you know, you're kind of working these things. I feel like there are two routes that maybe we have taken when it comes to pursuing love. So perhaps we, we give it a go based upon this picture that the world paints. And we're left in pain, confused, brokenhearted. We get caught in the cycle of hookup, shackup, breakup. Um, and kind of in this cycle of that's how things go. Or perhaps you grew up in the church and you went to a series of really bad purity conferences that portrayed, right? No? I have like the shirts. They were horrible. Um, uh, these really bad like purity conferences with the right intention, but the way that they, they go about it in the church is it's demonized. Like as sex is the ultimate demon. The misuse of sexuality is a, a um, it is a symptom of the greater problem, right? This is a symptom. All these things that we're seeing in the world that are going on, these are symptoms of a greater problem. The problem is not that you're an alcoholic. The problem is that you're in sin and you need Jesus. To say like, man, I just hope you stop drinking, but yet they, they just become a, a sober sinner and continue on on their way to hell. Does that save their soul? No, that's a symptom of a greater problem. And the same goes with the way that we pursue love and relationships. Um, so maybe you went to a really bad purity conference and they told you that having those desires made you evil and wrong and that if you thought about a girl or you thought about a boy, you would be struck dead instantly. No joke. So your view of dating is so cloudy and confusing. Am I courting? Am I dating? What is this? I used to hate that word. Like, oh, we're courting. Okay. 
<laughs> way to church it up, you know, like, <laughs> just call, you know, court, we're courting, we're, I don't know, what's the other word? I feel like courting, you picture two people on a, on a, a carriage ride facing the opposite direction. Like, and there's like the chaperone and like, now we must court publicly. And it's very like, all right. And so like, so that a lot of times when you have that, like, and granted everyone has like a different thing, but that's honestly how I grew up with that kind of view. And it was like, I always felt like I was doing something wrong. Like, can I date as a Christian? And, and now I feel like I'm always like, oh, there I go, sin it again because I, have, I think this girl's cute or, and, and anyway, I don't want to be too honest because this book's going to get a lot more awkward than tonight. So, okay. But there are some questions or, or maybe you got saved later in life and before Christ, you had no problem finding a date or going on dates. But now that you've been saved, you're confused about how to go about seeking out a relationship, right? But there is a proper way to do this. There is a God-given way of doing this. So there are some questions that I hope that we can answer as we study this book. Can Christians date? Um, how do I know this is the person I should marry? Oh, that's a big one, right? Like, should I marry them or should I not? Kind of a big deal. What does the Bible have to say about sex? So we're going to try and answer those three questions over the next eight weeks. Cool? All right. This is the title, Song of Songs. Let's read verse one. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. We know from scripture that Solomon wrote over 105 songs and 3,000 proverbs, but he says here that this is the greatest of all the songs. Like, this is my greatest hit. This is the best one ever written. Just as the Bible refers to Jesus as the King of Kings or the Holy of Holies, this is the Song of Songs. And there are different ways that people interpret this book. A lot, uh, there's a lot of different lines of interpretation. So I'm going to give you some of those lines, but then also the one that we're going to take. Um, there are different lines of interpretation that people take the song, to the Song of Solomon. Some take the line that this is an illustration or an allegory for the love of God, for his people in Christ, for his church, that our love for Jesus would grow into something deep. Okay? But, but if you take it that way, there's just some verses in here that are just downright creepy, if that's, if that's what that means. The very first verse, specifically, or the second one. In some passages, you, could you can make that connection, and we will, I promise you, we will find Jesus and the gospel in this book. Because everything, every part of scripture has the divine red scarlet line of Jesus' blood going through it, okay? So we're gonna see Christ in it. Hopefully you see it before I do, and then you can tell me. But, but we're gonna see that in some way, shape, or form. And in some passages you can take that, but then there's others that are just downright creepy. Look at verse two. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I love Jesus. I do. I, I love Jesus. I love God. I really do. But I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. So, so if, if it's like, this is God's love for his church. And I'm like, I don't know. It's hard for me to get there. Some believe that there's a love triangle going on here classic drama that Solomon has stole this woman away but her true love is this shepherd guy that she's really longing for but the line of interpretation that we'll be studying it from is a literal and straightforward perspective of two people falling in love and describing in poetic love songs God's divine gift of love that's what we're going to do because without dodging the reality of defiling God's gift, the book deals quite frankly with human sexuality. It also presents the divine standard that God has set for marriage, illustrating joyful privileges and serious obligations. So this is not a book we take lightly as just and you know um, awkwardly, but we take it seriously. All things, Warren Wearsby said, all things are possible to those who allegorize and what they come up with is usually heretical. So you could allegorize this book as like, this is what this is and this is what that is. And a lot of times you can come up with some really weird stuff if you do that, right? You've heard people allegorize the book of Revelation and, um, you know, the beast is this and the beast is that. And, and we're actually, it's actually, you know, anyway, um, there's just like a bunch of weird stuff. Just Google book of Revelation on YouTube. Actually, don't, don't do that. 
There's just so many wackadoodle, weird stuff where anyone with a Twitter account can make like a, a, like, this is what it is. Everyone's like, that's true. It's absolutely true. But the outline of this book, as we look through it, it's going to be the beginning chapters is their courtship, (laughs) courting, dating, and the beginning stages of love. The middle chapters describe their wedding and the events that surround it. The end chapters is the growth of intimacy as their marriage continues. And one thing we need to deal with, however, is the fact that Solomon was one of the worst polygamists in history. At one point, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And if you do the math, that's a lot of wives and ladies around him. So where, how do we take this love story and be like, oh, it's so pure and perfected, while we look at the life of Solomon and we're like, you dirty dog. Like, <laughs> you're actually like pretty gross, dude. Some of his marriages, and, and a lot of commentators are like, some of his marriages, a lot of his marriages were all leading towards political alliances and uh, growth of the economy and things like that. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. But 700 of them? It's a lot of alliances. <laughs> Not to mention the 300 concubines that, that he also had um, that were part of his harem. So there is a thought, another interpretation on who the actual... Um, author of this book is, is that it is written, um, it could be written by Solomon at the end of his life, looking back with regret that this was his true love and before he fell into that immorality. Others feel that he wrote this when he was a young man, when this is just starting, this is like his first real true love. Whenever he wrote it, we know that the Holy Spirit wrote it. And although the man didn't follow the wisdom that lies within, Within it, the Holy Spirit saw fit for us to have it. So we can learn from his wisdom. After all, you can have all the wisdom in the world, but if it means nothing, it means nothing if you don't apply it. Like you can be as wise as anyone else, but wisdom, true wisdom, is only wisdom when it's applied to your life. Otherwise, it's just knowledge. The difference between knowledge and wisdom is that you can know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. Like I can know that a shower will clean me. Like, I know that this shower has hot water, it has soap, it has all the ingredients to make me clean. But if I'm not in the shower, what good does that shower do for me? Right? Yeah, I just use a shower analogy. How do you like them apples? Anyway, you have to get in. That's wisdom. There are three. (laughs) This is off the rails already. Here we go. Now, there are three different people who will be speaking. Uh, One is the bride. She speaks more than all of them. Interesting, the woman speaks more than anyone else. Um, there's these group of women called the Daughters of Jerusalem. We're gonna call her them, we're gonna call them, we're gonna call them her friends. And then we have the beloved, Solomon. Okay, so some believe that this was written also in the wisdom of Solomon. So this is written by a group of people, a group effort writing these poetic love songs that it was written in the wisdom of Solomon under his tutelage and under his like approval. So it was actually written by him. So whatever you, wherever camp you fall under, all we know is that the Holy Spirit wrote it and we just spent a lot of time on that for your benefit. Okay, but let's read verse two. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. This right here is love initiated. This is love initiated. She's going to start by speaking about Solomon and then continues to speak to him. She's launching into this statement, right? She's just launching out into this great passion of like, let him kiss me, right? Like I want his lips on mine. It's basically like the translation. I want his lips attached to my lips. Let's get it on. Like that's, that's really what she's saying. But she isn't acting upon this, right? But she's describing the desire that's behind it. She's describing this desire that this is going to, you're going to notice this in the beginning part of the relationship, that everything is very appropriate. He compliments her from the neck up, right? No, the nothing else, there's no nothing else, right? He just talks about her neck and her head. From here till they get married. Everything is very appropriate in the way that they speak to one another. He proceeds after the wedding, however, the gloves are off and he compliments whatever he wants. But here in this verse, in verse two, she's daydreaming of this guy. And what, what, 
we see is that there is a physical attraction. She's daydreaming about him. She's thinking about him. And she's thinking like, oh my goodness, if only he was here right now. I wonder what he's doing right now. I wonder, what, what he, I wonder how much he's lifting at the gym right now. I wonder, I wonder you know, like, how, how much money he made this week to, like, buy me a ring. Like, I wonder, you know, anyway, she's, she is thinking about this guy and daydreaming about him because there's physical attraction. Guys, physical attraction is important. It's extremely important. It, it's kind of how things get started in a relationship, right? You think they are? What's the C word? Cute. That's the word we're looking for. <laughs> You're like, hot. That's, that doesn't start with a C. It starts with an H, Andrew. Hot. <laughs> Woo. Physical attraction is important. Is it a sin to be attracted to someone? Like if you're not married and you're like, wow, they're very attractive, like physically. Like in a, in a holy sense, okay? You're not looking at a magazine or looking at a screen, but someone comes across your path and you're like, whoa, they're attractive. You're not dwelling on that, Drew. Oh. <laughs> Just like, and you allow your mind to go somewhere it shouldn't. But you're like, initially like, wow, they're attractive. You've heard it said, like, it's all about what's on the inside that counts, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that too is important. But you want to get to that point of seeing the inner beauty. But that physical attraction is a good thing. But not that, that he beginning only at the point of beginning there. But something that we continue to cultivate into later years. Because each of us, no matter where you are, you will change physically. And so the part that, that is initiated of physical attraction, what takes place then is cultivating that physical attraction throughout your relationship and in pursuing that person and the inner beauty suddenly becomes far more beautiful than anything on the outside because you always listen you always fall in love with a soul not a body that is what you fall in love with so when someone says I've fallen out of love with them you have stopped pursuing a soul you stop pursuing who they are what their deepest desires are. You, you've stopped searching out their heart, and that's what. It has nothing to do with the physical, although that is part of it. But the deeper root of things is there is a soulish connection that takes place. But it starts with that physical, like, hey, hey, girl, thing. And that's okay. To give you some context of that, biblically, look at Adam and Eve. It's something that God has given, like it's something that God has given the human race, right? If God didn't care about like, if we didn't have physical attraction, God would just make us all look the same and be like, just pick someone, just pick one. You know, like they all look the same, so it doesn't really matter, right? But it does. Anyway, I'm gonna stick to my notes. Look at Adam and Eve. When he saw Eve, she was the most beautiful creature on two legs that he had ever seen, mainly because she was the only one, <laughs> right? But listen, we always have these views of what Eve looked like. Do you know the Bible never describes her physically? She could have been four foot two, 275 pounds, and like lifting buffalo. And Adam's like, yeah, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, apple bottom jeans, boots with a fur. Like that's what, he, that's what he's saying. But to him, to him, we're going to cut that part out. To him. Here's the important part. Reel it back in here. To Adam, to Adam, she was the definition of beauty for him then on. Does that make sense? So whatever anyone said, like, what's beautiful? Adam would say, Eve is. You want to know what beautiful is? Eve is. You want to see what it actually looks like fleshed out. Look at, at her. She is the definition of it. To look up in, in Adam's dictionary, that was pretty small at that point. He's like, beauty, Eve, booyah, that's what it is. Doesn't tell us what she looked like, but to Adam, she was the most beautiful thing she'd, he'd ever seen. And so listen, in a relationship, physical attraction is important. It is biblical. It is a part of who we are. Otherwise, none of us would be here, right? <laughs> Let that one sink in. 
But this one, there you go. Some of you are getting it now. But this woman is having a desire for the physical, and we see she is really into this guy. She's really into this guy. This is love being initiated. But look at what she says. Your love is better than wine. Wine in the Bible is spoken of uh, throughout scripture as something of a luxury or of great blessing. It, it means joy throughout the Bible. Like the, the coming of the Holy Spirit is this, the, the coming forth of this new wine. Like in, in weddings, it was a symbol of joy and the, the, the wine would flow rapidly and a lot. And so it was in the Jewish mindset, wine was just something of joy and luxury and blessing. But she's saying that, that okay, wine is good, but your love is better than that. Like your love is better than that. Why? Wine has a limit and a line. In scripture, the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine. What is that saying? There's a line here. You can't go any further than this. She says, your love is better than that because there is no line. That this relationship can go deeper and farther than anything else in this world. It's better than the greatest luxury. It is better than the greatest blessing on this earth because unlike the effects of wine, which are shallow and temporary, your love is deep and lasting. Isn't that beautiful? Guys, this is, what, <laughs> this is what love should be like. And the reason that this is written down for us is so that we would understand and hopefully allow God's word to wash away whatever concept of physical and sexual attraction or love, what it's, it's depicted in your heart or in your mind. Let this be the lens in which you see it from. The effects of wine are shallow and temporary, but the lo their love was deep and lasting. The wonderful thing about married love is that there is no line. We can go deep, deeper in love, that we don't come to a place of boredom, but love grows and deepens with each of its phases of life. It is meant to be a lasting marriage. Like that, that's what it's supposed to be. Love doesn't just start at the beginning and then drop off the edge. But it's something that God has given to us and says, if you will foster this, if you will cultivate this, if you will invest in this, then there is no line to this. There's, there's no stopping it. It's as close, it's as close, it's, it's what God uses to depict his relationship with us is a marriage between a man and a woman. He says, this is what it's going to be like. It's, it's this closeness. It's this love. There's no line to how deep you can go in your relationship with God. We've talked about it many times, that there is no line when it comes to you knowing Jesus and knowing God. You can go as far and as deep as you want, and you will only get to the end of him when we get to glory. Like the pursuit of God throughout our life will only lead us to a deeper understanding, but yet we are only scratching the surface. The Bible says that's how marriage can be too. And that's how love should be. It should be something that is deep and that is lasting. Um, marriage sometimes, it has this connotation for men especially, that your life is over. <laughs> and that your wings are being clipped. I knew, I knew a guy who uh, on his bachelor party, it was a Christian bachelor party, so guys never really know what to do with that. Um, <laughs> Let's go camping. You're like, let's be homeless one more time. Um, you know, we never really know what to do with that. Like, let's rent a boat and go really fast or whatever. But his friends um, drilled a hole in a bowling ball and attached a chain to it. And he had to, and they attached the chain to him and he had to carry it around the whole bachelor party. It's kind of like, yeah, the old ball and chain. You know, like, like my life's over. I'm a prisoner. It's supposed to be funny, but it's not. Um, <laughs> anyway. Marriage seems to have that connotation, for men anyway. I'm settling down, but listen, you got it all wrong. A good marriage is a great adventure because you're marrying someone who you are going to share every moment with. Jeremiah 31.3 says, the Lord appeared to him from far away. <clears throat> I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Did you hear that, that, the way that that follows? I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I will be faithful to you. And the way that God depicts his relationship to us, because he loves us, 
He will be faithful to us. In the same way that a marriage, when two people stand before God and say, I love you, therefore I will be faithful to you and, no, and you alone. It's the same way that God says, because I love you, I will always be faithful to you. He has loved us with an everlasting love and he will continue to be faithful. And this is what marriage is a glimpse into. In verse three, moving right along. Because of the fragrance of your good ointment, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. And everyone said, amen. What is she talking about? Reputation and character is what she's talking about. Her senses, like she's talking about her, her taste and smell. And she's like, my senses are just overwhelmed. This is the birth of love. And she is totally infatuated with this young man. But also, could you make the connection here that Solomon was a good-smelling guy? Yes, we can. Grooming is a good thing, fellas. Being a good-smelling guy and taking showers and shaving, if that's your calling, or, or, you know, like, just not mine, obviously. But that goes somewhere. Like, that goes a distance. So I've talked to guys like, I really want to find someone. You're like, I don't think you do because you smell like death. Like, let's, step one, brush your teeth. You know, like, step two, smell good. Do your hair. Stop dressing like you did in junior high. You know, or, or like, hey, this whole remote control thing, put that down, get a job. You know, you really want a girl? Hey, that helps. <laughs> it's okay to put on makeup. It's okay to work out. It's okay to shower. And you can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what she's rejoicing in. Like, he's a good-smelling guy. And I like that. She's going to compliment his manliness for the next, like, eight chapters. Like, he is a manly deer, is what she says. I'm stoked on his hairiness. I'm excited about it. She just goes on, like, about how he's a man. Guys, just to give you an insight, girls are attracted to men. So be a man, really helps you out. That'll take you quite far, just saying. And we're moving on. But listen to what she says, your name, your name, your reputation is upstanding in this neighborhood and your character is outstanding. It's a strong and good reputation. She has watched his life and seen evidence of his character that he was a man of integrity. I think of Ruth. You remember the story of Ruth. She, um, through different circumstances, she meets a woman named Naomi who has sons. Uh, Naomi's husband dies, and then her two sons die. So we have three widows um, in, a, in a foreign land. They move from Israel to Moab. And so they're apart from their people. They're living as foreigners there uh, because of famine. And Naomi tells her, like, just, just go find someone to marry. Like, leave me. Go find someone to marry so that you can be taken care of. And Ruth says to her, she says to her, it would be better for me to have God and God's people than just some Moabite man. Like she says, that's what I'm after. It's not just some Moabite man. They can find those anywhere. But what I want is God and God's people. Think about it. When you are looking to build a life together with someone, because that's what dating is. You are looking to build a life with someone. And as you build a life together with that person, you want, to, you want to make sure they have good building materials to them. And that is character and reputation. Proverbs 31 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Not only did he smell good, but he had a reputation. That, that fragrance permeated throughout the community and people were like, that guy, that guy loves Jesus. That guy right there, he loves the Lord. And we know it because we've watched his life. This is what we focus on. While you guys are in this waiting period before you meet someone or whatever, you're in that, this is what you steward is your character. You be the person who loves Jesus, fears the Lord, and listen, that will be praised to other people. It will be praised to the Lord and people will talk about, hey, if you, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm having trouble meeting. Have you met this guy? Because he's outstanding. Let the dates roll in. No, I'm just kidding. 
But what you get out of it is not a date. You get more of God. I think that's a lot of times where we're like, if I can just do these things and God's going to bring me what I want. What you get out of it is more of Jesus and you get God, which is far better and is actually, it can satisfy and it does satisfy and it is such a wonderful relationship that suddenly God will bring someone alongside of you who's doing the same thing and you're like, hey, you're cute and, and I smell good. Let's, let's do this. But that is the pursuit in which we're after. And so what are some things that we're to look for within character? Just practically. Guys, girls, are they involved in a church under the authority of that church? Are they involved in a church? Step one, like do they go to a church? And do you know which one? And are they known at that church? Do like people know who they are? Because that's like number one. Because if they will not come under the authority of Jesus Christ in their life, how will they come under the authority of Jesus Christ to lead you and to lead your family and to lead you spiritually? Step one. Step two. We want to watch how they treat people and how they treat you. You put your best foot forward dating, don't you? I tried. I used to be clean, just clean shaven, and uh, my hair was always done, and um, I used to go to the gym and stuff, and um, I'm going to start again, January 1. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you put your best foot forward. What you say, how you treat someone, the way that you are, personality begins to come out. Watch how that is. How do they treat you? If this is how they treat you in the beginning, how do you think they're going to treat you later on when they got you? When they, we don't have to work for it anymore. We're married, blah, whatever. How do they treat people? How do they treat their parents? Like, watch how they treat their mom. Like, that's a big deal. Watch how they treat their dad. Watch how they treat their siblings. Like, these are gateways into who they really are. Because in the physical, you're like, they're just amazing. I'm enraptured with who they are. Let their kisses be upon me. Like, that's what I'm after. And, and sometimes we can have insane blinders on people's character. Because after all, we have blind spots in our own character, right? There's things that I don't see that you see. And you're like, that's jacked up. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm amazing. So... We want to see how they treat other people. The third thing, are they willing to partake in your physical body before making a covenant with you? If they are, that means they're a shortcut taker and they will always be a shortcut taker. Sorry to say. The Bible says that love is patient. Love is kind. Guys, when the Bible describes what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, it really means it. And if you really love someone, listen, do not partake of their physical body before making that covenant with them because they do not belong to you. They do not belong to you. The Bible has two distinctions. They have sisters in Christ and they have wives and that's it. So if they're not your wife, who are they? Your sister. And my dad used to say, like a tie, it's like kissing your sister. It's awful, <laughs> right? It's not a win, it's not a loss, it's just a tie. It's like kissing your sister. Anywho, moving on. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want someone who's going to take shortcuts. Like, that's not a good quality. And granted, hey, there's grace upon grace upon grace. There, there is grace. If you have fallen, listen, I don't want you to go away from this of like, woe is me, I'll never find love because, I don't know why I'm doing that voice, but I don't know, I, woe is me, it'll never happen for me because of A, B, C, and D. Understand that you are a new creation in Christ. There is grace that is available to you. The same grace that is on everybody else is the same grace that is upon us. Like, that's for us. There is grace, there is mercy, there is repentance, and we can have a right relationship we choose to walk with God. So what's happened in the past doesn't have to be what happens in the future. Okay, that's dead, that's gone, Jesus died for it. When you're baptized, it stays in the water, you come up new. Therefore, you don't have to keep going like that. There's grace, there's mercy. Do it the right way this time. And have a standard and say, I'm not moving on this standard. I don't care how attractive you are. I don't care how 
good you smell. Like, no, this is it. And if you're going to take shortcuts, get out of here. What a waste of time. Right? That's a waste of time. How many of you are, with the world the way that it is, you're like, I love wasting time. This is perfect for me. No one wants to waste their time. Draw me away, she later says in verse, where are we? I got lost. Therefore, the virgins love you. Oh, verse four, draw me away. She's looking towards the day when the two can become one flesh. She's looking towards that day and she's saying, draw me away. Like, I'm ready to be there. Listen, we never want our body to go or our mind to go where our body cannot follow. So be careful how far ahead you daydream. Guard your mind. Make sure that that is something we guard against. Love is insanely powerful. That is the point here. She's saying, draw me away. There's an exclamation point. She's excited. She's saying, listen, this is, this is so powerful. And listen, love is insanely powerful. And so we are encouraged throughout this book not to stir it up before it is time. Um, when I was younger, I was hiking in the woods. <laughs> I know it's hard to imagine. I love the woods. I like being alone in the woods. It's one of my favorite things in the world. As I was coming around the bend in the woods, just, you know, enjoying myself, I came across nature's wonderful creatures. I came across coyotes. Now, looking at a coyote, I'm like, let's do this. I'll fight you any day. But they roll in packs, right? There's like a bunch of them. And so I thought, as I'm coming around the corner, I see it, and I immediately just sit back and don't move. Don't make a sound, don't move. Because I don't want that, I don't think it saw me, I don't want that thing to know that I'm here. Song of Solomon says, you do not want love to know you're there because it is so powerful it'll rip your face off, right? It is so powerful, it makes you insane. It will, it will cause you to do things that you said you would never do. So be careful. Don't awaken it to your presence before it's time. Be wise about where you put yourself into difficult situations. James chapter one, verse 13, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Understand that we have a desire. It's there. It's within us. So don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to be overcome by that desire. If you're having these feelings, it's good to get an outside opinion. Look what her friends say. We will run after you. What great friends. Those are some good friends. She's like, draw me away. And they're like, we're going to chase you down and bring you back. She's like floating up into the air. And they're like grabbing her ankles like, uh-uh, at any time, girl. Not yet. Look at you. Um, Listen, other people do not choose for us, but their approval is great encouragement. Like having other people say, yes, this is a good thing. Like he's a good guy. He's a good, he's a good girl. She is a good girl. Like, yes, we want to approve of that. That's why we date within community. We date within fellowship. You've seen these, these relationships that begin and they're all together and they're like all friends and suddenly they start dating and then you never see them again. You're like, what happened? The girl or the guy that does that, you will have no bridesmaids and you will have no groomsmen. Date within community. Have other people around you who are watching and can see things that you can't see because you're blinded by love. Everything is just so confusing and sweaty. Wow. (sighs) So, verse 5. It's true that love is blind sometimes. We can't see it or we choose not to see it. So we don't want to date with both, both eyes wide open. And that's what her friends are doing there. They're saying, open your eyes. Let's keep them open. We're not there yet. We're going to hold you back. We're going to keep you accountable. Verse 5. Right? Oh, no, there, there's more. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We, we remember you, your love more than one. They're saying it's good. We're, we're good. Everything's good. Verse 5. 
Now, this is where it takes a different turn. She says, I am dark but lovely, the daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Exactly, yeah. It's good stuff, you know. What is she talking about? Number one is that there is constant changing standard of beauty, isn't there? She's like, don't look at my skin, it's super dark, I'm tanned by the sun. In those days, whiter skin or, or, or a whiter complexion was a sign of, of royalty, a sign of luxury. You didn't have to work outside. She's like, my life wasn't like that, I had to work outside. So I, was, I have tan lines. I'm all, here in California, we're like, tan lines, yeah. Well, not me personally, but I know some people that do that. So, <laughs> anywho, her skin was dark, which meant that she had to work outside. And what we're seeing here is that she is insecure about her appearance. She's insecure about the way she looks. That's simply what she's saying. And she's telling this to the guy that she's in love with, like, hey, I'm really insecure about this in my life. I'm insecure about the way that I look. The tents of Kedar, they were made with the skins of black goats, like these, these black-skinned goats and black fur. And so she's saying, I'm, I'm as dark like that. And she's like, I'm embarrassed of that. It's, it's an insecurity for me. She's saying, I'm struggling. I'm dark, but I'm lovely. Like, I know that I'm lovely, but this is a part of my life that I really struggle with. And she says later, I took care of the vineyards, but I couldn't take care of myself. That, that idea of the vineyard is going to be throughout this, this story. If she refers to her own body as the garden, and he is the keeper of that garden later when they get married. But she's describing that, like my vineyard I have not kept. Like I didn't get to go to the gym. I didn't swim as much as I used to. Like I had to work four jobs or whatever. And she's like, I just, time had passed. I didn't get to work on myself. That's what is being communicated. And I think it's good for us to know that this is a godly woman who is struggling with her appearance and feeling insecure. Marriage on this side of the fall on this side of the fall, a man has never put two complete and perfect people together. And something we need to understand that God brings two broken people together with pain and with history. That when you enter in a relationship, understand that each person has their own insecurities, that each person has their own pain, each person has their own history, and their own struggle. But insecurity that she doesn't know also where he is. Look what she says in verse 8. If you don't, or no, verse 7, tell me. Oh, you whom I love, where do you feed your flock? Where do you make it rest at noon? And why should I be as the one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? She's insecure about where he is. These are two access points for insecurity and the devil. The perspective of self and the absence of the spouse, the absence of the other person. And I think it's, it's something that men have, we have perfected the art of being present and absent at the same time. It's, a, it's amazing. We are in the same room. We are at the same restaurant. We are miles away in our mind, right? And she's like, where are you in this? Like, are you even into this anymore? Are, are we on the same page? Does this sound like anything? Sound familiar? Like, I, I know the, how I feel, but how does he feel? I don't even know. And the guy's like, I'm stoked. I'm, like, it's just like two where I'm good. And he's eating. He's like, that's what I'm thinking about. You're over here dealing with all these feelings. And he's like, man, I love pizza. <laughs> like, that's it, right? This is the difference between men and women. She's like, I don't even know where you are. I don't even know where we are in this relationship. Do you even feel the same way? And he's like, I'm at work, girl. <laughs> I'm, I'm working. Guys who are disengaged will never be engaged. Yeah, I made that up myself. <laughs> feel, feel free to tweet that out. <laughs> Listen, men don't communicate how they feel. We never have, we never will. Here's how we feel. I'm either angry or I'm happy, that's it. There's no in between. I'm like, oh, you know what, I'm a little bleh. I'm either angry, which is a, a, we talked about last week, there is one emotion that men have, it's anger. And, and that encompasses every other emotion. Right? If I'm sad, I'm angry that I'm sad. I'm like, stop being a wuss, idiot. If, 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 right? If, if all this is encompassed in one solid emotion, I'm angry. But what that means is I am lonely, I am sad, I am this, I am that. It has every other function within it, but men flesh it out in one way, anger. 
That's it. Maybe I'm just describing myself, and maybe that was a little too personal. <laughs> but that is honestly everything in me, no matter what I'm going through, if it's something, if, and, it, and it hurts me emotionally, I'm just angry, like all the time. And my wife's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to set the world on fire and beat up everyone. Like if I could just beat someone up, like that would suffice. Like who's an idiot that I need to beat up? Someone call me right now. Give me a bat. Let's do this. So what does that mean? Guys, when she's like, where are you in this? We need to communicate. In a dating relationship, you must learn right off the bat to communicate your feelings. Not that you're like, you know what I'm feeling? Not overly sensitive where you're like more emotional than her. You're like, I'm just feeling like you hurt my feelings. And she's like, okay, Nancy, like be a man, suck it up, like be a dude. That's your role in this whole thing. Um, sometimes guys are pretty emotional too, but we need to open our mouths. It's not just by like little things we do and maybe she'll understand. I don't know if you know this, but men or women cannot read minds. They never have and they never will. My wife said to me the other day, you should just know. And I'm like, how should I just know? And she's like, I don't know. I know it's impossible. I know it's ridiculous, but that's what I want. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying. It's been like 13 years. I'm like, and now guess what? I am learning. I am learning. There are little things and little twigs. I'm like, that's what it is. <laughs> by the grace of God, by the grace of God. So listen, if you're on that road, learn now how to communicate with each other. Learn to communicate in a way that is peaceful in a way that is honest, in a way that is loving. Like, if you can do that now, you're gonna build on a beautiful foundation of communication. Um, so she's saying, like, where are you? Convey your feelings. I need security, right? I need to feel like, where are we in this whole thing? But here we go. Solomon opens his mouth, and he doesn't skip a beat. Watch this. If you don't know, oh, fairest among women, Look what he says right off the bat. She's like, I'm insecure. I don't even know if you're into this whole thing. And he says, you don't even know that you are the most beautiful woman in the world to me. And you're like, he's going to say that over and over. Why? That is a good line. It's a great line. You are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Among all of them, you are the most beautiful. He doesn't even skip a beat. He is helping with her insecurities. She's saying, I'm insecure about the way I look. And he's like, listen, you don't understand how beautiful you really are. Not just on the outside, but on the inside. And I love this about you. And this is specifically, and it makes me feel overwhelming love for you. Oh man, that's so wise. So wise. Your spouse will not be able to fix, listen, your, fix, your, your spouse will not be able to fix every internal problem that you have, but they can help she cries out, where are you? Like, what's going on here? And he begins to speak into those insecurities. Look what he says. When she says, where are you? He says, follow in my footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats besides the shepherd's tent. <laughs> That's so weird. What's happening in verse 8? The B-sides. He's flirting with her. She's like, where are you? And he's like, you want to know where I am? I left a little trail. Come and find me. That's what he's saying. Like, they're flirting and they're having fun. Like, they're having fun with each other. At the beginning of a relationship, it should be fun. If it's not fun, and you're like, this is such an arduous thing, and like, we're always disconnecting, and this is not fun, but I'm just going to push through. Why? <laughs> Why? It should be fun at the beginning, right? They're flirting. They're having a good time. Have you ever been out to dinner with a couple that doesn't like each other? Oh, it's the most awkward, horrible thing in the world. You're like, oh my gosh, I want to leave. I want to leave. I want to leave. I want to leave. Why are you two together? Oh my gosh. You need counseling. Like you need counseling. And they're just like, oh, he always does this and she always does that. Oh, okay, ball and chain and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Uncle Pete, you're the worst or whatever. <laughs> but he's flirting with her. They're having fun and enjoying one another. And this is how it should be. Should be fun. Should be fun. Sometimes <laughs> couples take all the fun out of the relationship. One of the things I do when I do premarital counseling is I ask them, like, have you gone on dates lately? 
I'm like, well, no, we've been doing this and that. I'm like, your assignment this week is to go on a date. Turn off your phone and go have fun. Like, well, we're saving for the wedding. Spend some money. Go have fun. Remind yourself of what it's like to just be in love again. And so often that's what takes place. And this is how it should be. It should be fun. But not only that, this is where he really pours it on. I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. He just called her a horse. <laughs> you are a mare among stallions, he says. Not the best line you could pull. But the point is, is that stallions would have only been pulled by, by Pharaoh's chariots. Like only a stallion is a boy horse. <laughs> so he says, you're the only female among all those males. Meaning that when you walk into a room, you cause problems, girl. Like when you walk in, it's all these guys who are like, oh, look at her. And he's like, you just cause problems. Girl, look at you, is what he's saying. But through his words, notice what he is doing. He is creating safety through exclusivity. He's telling her, you don't have to worry about me looking anywhere else. You're the only one for me. And what that does is put all of those insecurities to somewhat at rest. Like I feel peace because I know he's not looking around. He's not off somewhere doing that. He, she's not off looking at someone else and they're not, they're not talking, they're not. This is exclusive and because of it, it's exclusive, man, there is safety within that. And there, there's security within that. And so often, man, that's, that's like the story of every, every song. It's like someone going out on the other person and this and that. And they're trying to find out who's cheating and who that and whatever. Oh, my gosh, it's 9 o'clock. Here we go. <laughs> You're the one, he says, not looking around. Verse 10, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your necks with chains of gold. He's describing her face. He says, man, you have a beautiful face. <laughs> He's communicating that to her. Good job. She desired by him and the only one for him. Verse 10. Um, oh, no, verse 11, excuse me. We will make your ornaments of gold with studs of silver. And then she says in verse 12, while the king is at his table, my shepherd sends forth his fragrance, a bundle of myrrh, so on and so forth. In verse 10, he compliments her from the neck up. And like I said, he's going to later compliment everything else. But here... It's as if the friends confirm what the king is saying. It's like the edict of the king, and they saying, we agree with the king. But I think just to, again, bring it to this point of like our relationship with Jesus, if there's anything I need to grow in personally, it is my assurance of the love of the king. I have to grow when it comes to that. Like that my God loves me, and he loves me unconditionally. And that my God loves me in such a way that he's not, he's not disappointed with my insecurities. He knows all those things and he still loves me. And if there's one thing, there's many things, but in that I need to grow in the assurance of God's love for me. And maybe that's you. You need to grow in God's assurance of his love for you. That no matter what you've gone through, whatever trauma you've experienced in your life, whatever hang up you have in your life, whatever things have gone on, you're like, I have these insecurities about these are scars from my old life. And how can a God love me? Look at what I've done. Look what I've gone through. Look at all this trauma. And the king says to you, you are my beloved. Grow in that assurance that God loves you and cares for you. And he pours out grace upon you. And he's not looking anywhere else. Man, he's, his, he's looking right at you and says, you are the one for me. Like, I love you with an everlasting love. Before you ever reciprocated, I loved you. And that's something I think um, we can all grow in for sure. But I know for myself, I love to tell other people that Jesus loves them. But it, when it comes to preaching the gospel to myself, that's where I struggle. So let us grow in that assurance that our King loves us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for this book. Lord, I, I, I thank you for uh, the ways in which God, we see you in it, and Lord, we pray that these things that are laid out in your word will always be something that um, sticks into our hearts and our minds. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you've given us this roadmap and, and guide on how to, how to walk according to your word when it comes to our relationships. And so we're thankful, Lord, we love you. 
We ask God that anything that was of the flesh would just fall away from our minds and our hearts, but the things that are of you would stay and continue to permeate and move in our heart. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything tonight, we'd love to pray with you. We're going to close in a worship song. Why don't we all stand together?